Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Saturday, February the 1st, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. The climate crisis is an issue which has figured only marginally in the leaders' debates that we've had during this election campaign so far. While some polling suggests that as an issue, it figures surprisingly low in voters' priorities. But there is no doubt that the concerns about its impact on all our lives uh, are driving the anticipated surge in Green Party votes next Saturday. And all the other parties have at least made attempts to some degree to include climate measures in their manifesto. But what are the differences between the different parties on climate change and how do they rank in terms of taking the challenge seriously? Uh, I'm joined on the line by Joe Curtin, who's Director of Policy and Grant Management, Climate and Resilience at the Rockefeller Foundation. He's an expert advisor also to Ireland's Climate Change Advisory Council and he was previously a senior fellow at the Institute of International and European Affairs, uh, leading that organisation's climate policy team. Joe, you're very welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you, Hugh. Great to be here. And I'm also joined by our own Harry McGee, a live blogger, political correspondent, and somebody, I think it's fair to say, Harry, who's had a particular interest in the politics of climate change as part of your brief over the last few years. Yeah, I'd say over the last 15 years, actually, not just over the last few years. So I'm a grizzled veteran, <laughs> like I think, myself. at this stage. Yeah. Like the two of you. Well, good. I, I, yeah. I look forward to being enlightened. So, so Harry, first of all, uh, the, uh, the $60,000 question, but I think a very difficult one. How do the parties compare? Well, there are big contrasts between the targets and also the measures that each of them want to put in place. And the manifestos that have been published by all of the parties, I haven't had a chance to look at the Social Democrats one yet, but I have seen their policies on biodiversity, uh, which they they published about 10 days ago. For the rest of them, there are big uh, differences. Targets, for number one. So the two main parties have kind of moderate targets. Now, they're not moderate. They're actually quite ambitious in terms of trying to achieve them. And if they do achieve them, uh, they will be doing a lot. They want a between 2 and 3% reduction in emissions every year between now and 2030. Uh, but to put that into context, um, the Labour Party um, want uh, more ambition than that. Uh, they're talking about having uh, emissions between now and 2030. So that would be more 5-6% uh, emission reduction each year. Um, when you look at the um, uh, policy of the Green Party, they're looking for a reduction of 7% uh, per annum. And top of the charts in terms of emission reductions targets is uh, Solidarity, People Before Profit. It's actually a People Before Profit paper. And they want emissions reductions of 10% um, each uh, year, which is really high. And that would be a pretty hard one to explain as to how one would achieve it. Sorry, just to be clear then, a 10% reduction over the course of a decade means zero carbon emissions in 10 years' time. In in Yeah, they, they want to... to move the ambition up so that Ireland will be net zero by 2030 rather than 2050, which is the kind of the, the, the UN goal, even though the UN goal is shifting now. Uh, that's what they what they want to achieve. Um, and they have a, a manifesto paper that's um, that's relatively detailed. It's more detailed uh, than the Sinn Féin one. 
and uh, more detailed perhaps than the Labour Party one as well. But, you know, I mean, it has some measures. You kind of say, well, I mean, how is that going to achieve? They want to, to close Money Point now. They want to close Bournemouth now. Uh, but they don't have the alternatives in place okay, well, uh, to build up the slack. You know, that's not inbuilt into their policy. I don't want to be disrespectful to the yeah. PPP, but the fact is I don't believe that they're going to be in the government the next time. So, sure, you know, sure, the, sure. The, 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 four, the four and five main parties, I think, are the key ones we should yeah. be looking at in terms of what we might expect uh, to be implemented. Yeah, and I think what most of them are agreed on um, the need to... Um, to end our dependence on fossil fuels. So all of them, in one way or another, are looking at the closure of Money Point, which is our biggest kind of fossil fuel burning uh, uh, generation station, uh, closing all the, the Bordemona uh, uh, power plants, plus their uh, peat processing, and looking at ways in which they uh, will diversify. But you'll get kind of differences of nuance and differences of approach by parties in relation to how that could be done. So if you're looking at more kind of uh, urgent timescales, you'd look towards the Greens, the Labour Party and some of the parties to the left. I think uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are perhaps more gradualistic in terms of their approach to that. Uh, some of the parties are putting huge emphasis on electric vehicles as a panacea for all our ills. Uh, Fine Gael, for example, uh, says that uh, there can be two million, not one million, uh, uh, EVs on the road in Ireland by 2030, which seems hugely ambitious. Uh, the Taoiseach was talking about it this morning at this event in the IIEA, and he said, "It's you know, it's like WhatsApp." He said, "WhatsApp didn't exist three years ago, but now everybody's using it." But WhatsApp is a kind of a, mm. you know, it's an abstract device on your phone. It's not a car. It's not something that has to be manufactured. It doesn't uh, have battery technology that has to be tested, and all of the safety things. And it's to do doing with scaling up and to scale up for two million EVs in Ireland, and then you can say they're going to be. 2 million EVs in each of the countries that are comparable in size to Ireland and then way more in the bigger countries and you kind of wonder is that achievable or not within a decade? Plus, so, I'm, plus I'm really not sure whether a like-for-like replacement of internal combustion engine cars by individual vehicles outside everybody's door in the same way is actually going to address the issue at all. Yeah, and that, there are things as well just to, just, just, just to finish off I mean retrofitting is a huge thing with the Greens and they're talking about, about, about eventually spending €2.5 billion Euro per annum on retrofitting 750,000 houses and they say that that's absolutely necessary. And finally, all of them are talking about this notion of modal shift, moving away from people driving cars long distances, moving to other forms of transport or using technology uh, to allow them to work closer to where they live mm-hmm. rather than have to travel far distances. So each of them, and, some, and then of course there's agriculture and there's the whole debate about the national herd, uh, both on the dairy side and the beef suckler, whether uh, they their numbers should be cut or not. And then you get kind of differences between each party. And we're going to return to, to a few of those. But Joe, I want to bring in, before we started recording this podcast, you described yourself as you were coming into this conversation like an alien coming uh, landing from Mars. And in a way, that's that's really good because this is a global problem. It's not a national problem. So it's good to bring that global perspective to this little local dispute that we're having that we call a general election campaign and to look at these kinds of proposals against the measures which somebody like yourself would think would, would actually be required to meet minimal targets. Yeah, the, the positive part of my uh, half of my personality is is going, you know, if you look at it from an external perspective, the parties are all really well aligned. You know, climate action is very prominent in all of the manifestos and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's really great to kind of see that sort of level of prominence and the level of ambition. But then the cynical part of my brain sort of goes, well, how come we get all of this kind of 
uh, top trumps for targets um, every five years, but then in the intervening period, nothing or very little seems to happen. So it's, um, I suppose, you know, when, when I think about targets and the kinds of targets that Harry was talking about there, you know, a 10% reduction, a 7% reduction, a 6% reduction. I don't take them seriously because really what I think a target is, is a way of a political uh, representative expressing to the public that we're serious about this. It's not a technocratic kind of exercise of saying we're actually going to do this. Um, I wouldn't place any sort of credence or any faith in the kinds of, you know, 8% or 6% reduction targets um, per annum, you know, that that would require such an unbelievably dramatic turnaround of um, Irish climate performance overnight that I don't really think it's feasible. Where we need to go um, by 2030 is at least a 30% reduction in our emissions in the buildings, transport, and agriculture sectors, and then the rest of the economy, which is kind of heavy industry and power, is operating under the emissions trading scheme. So, um, you know, as, as Harry said, you know, that will definitely um, result in the retirement of money point in the near term rather than the, you know, the long term. And, you know, by 2025, at the absolute latest, money point needs to be gone. You know, I do, I think that we can talk about transitioning, you know, out of Borden Mona in the next couple of years. And all of the parties, Another thing that I think is very interesting to see from an alien perspective is everybody, all of the parties are talking about just transition. All of the parties are talking about framing their climate policy very much within what would be considered, especially from an American uh, perspective, you know, a far left almost perspective, um, you know, wh- which I think is is really uh, not, uh, the, the kind of language like that Fianna Fáil, for example, would use around socially and regionally proofing every climate policy they introduce or you know every every con- every party talks about a just transition and ensuring that the most vulnerable are protected and i think that that's incredibly important kind of language um, if you want to win social support for for climate action so those are just some initial observations mm. anyway and how difficult is is that to achieve i mean you talked a little bit about energy generation there and none of mm-hmm. these things are easy and i'm sure that isn't easy but maybe it's easier than some of the other ones when you look at you know the issue of transportation especially with the way that you know spatial development has has worked out across Ireland in the last 30, 30 or 40 years and where people live and the reliance on, on the private car to get to and from work and everything else. When you look at the mm-hmm. state of Irish agriculture um, and the contribution which it makes, these are going to be really difficult political choices and proofing them against uh, having some portion of the population, a significant portion of the population, feeling they're being unfairly treated is going to be quite challenging. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's easy to, you know, make big promises. But actually, there are perceived at least trade-offs, you know, between doing things like, um, you know, transitioning out of fossil fuels in the energy uh, sector, or indeed, as you said, in the agriculture sector. And, you know, um, a lot of the time, those kinds of uh, trade-offs don't really get kind of considered in any sort of sophisticated detail, because I guess election campaigns aren't really about that sort of sophisticated policy kind of debate. Um, but, you know, I suppose one, <laughs> if we were if we were trying to solve this problem, you know, we wouldn't start from here. We would start <laughs> 40 years ago and we would do things differently, but we are where we are. Um, but I suppose one example that I noticed of this sort of lack of acknowledgement of alternatives was, you know, Sinn Féin's proposal. So they start off their manifesto with um, a carbon tax, carbon tax increase will make people poorer, but it will not make the state any 
greener or cleaner. So those are two false statements straight off. Like we know from all of the evidence that's available that a carbon tax will not make people poorer. It, you know, it depends what you do with the revenue. And in fact, a carbon tax can create, you know, um, efficiencies in the economy. It can encourage people to use energy more efficiently and it can create innovation and it can, you know, drive um, creativity and um, drive sort of diamondism in the economy. And and the revenues can be either used to offset the effects on poorer communities or, you know, they can um, they, they can be used as in a lot of the parties um, have earmarked a lot of the revenue for things like a just transition or for for things like making sure that, you know, farmers um, be farmers or those um, involved in peat extraction or burning are protected from the transition. And that's the kind of thinking you need, you know, not these kind of, you know, false narratives that are seem to be just um, aimed at kind of winning votes. And the idea that it won't make the state greener as well is complete nonsense. Like we know that a carbon tax works, of course it's not a solution by itself you need to use that as a kind of basic building block for your climate policy but it's by no means um, a, a, a sort of a, a panacea and that's where I suppose I would agree with it with Sinn Féin's kind of cynicism on a carbon tax it's certainly not a solution by itself and um a carbon tax is essentially a form of nudge economics, isn't it? It's kind of encouraging people to change their behaviour uh, with a combination of stick and carrot, the stick being the, the, the tax itself and the carrot being incentives to do certain things which are, which, uh, are, are more carbon neutral or less carbon intensive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a carbon tax kind of has a, has a short-term uh, substitution effect. So, you know, um, if even if you're, you know, in a in a rural community in Ireland and you don't have an alternative available to you in the immediate term, yes, there will be a short-term pain if you can't, you know, um, if you can't, if there is no public transport alternative, for example, to get to work. But in the medium term, it will encourage you at your next decision point to, you know, make a kind of a... Um, a, a, a sort of a low carbon car purchasing choice, let's say, or to at least um, purchase the most efficient car in, in class. And what that does then in turn is it creates a kind of a medium term incentive for the car dealerships or the car manufacturing companies downstream to produce and to to respond to this demand. So it has that kind of long-term innovation effect as well. And then the third effect that it can have, if you use the revenue wisely and both, um, I, I think all three of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and, and the Greens certainly have said that they will earmark the revenue to do things like um, promote retrofit or to ensure just transition. So you have that then third effect where the revenue is being used to create economic opportunity to insulate the poorest and the most vulnerable and to uh, create um, dynamism in the green economy. Harry, you and I are middle-class professionals living in the capital city, both of us relatively close to the city centre. Um, a carbon tax, I don't know about you, but it actually wouldn't affect me very much. I could probably stop having a car at all pretty soon and I'd get benefit from that. I'd get a financial benefit out of it. Um, there's somebody who might be on a similar similar income but who's in a completely different part of the country and their lifestyle is totally different. And I, I actually can't see how they won't, even if they have to invest in a quite expensive new electric car, among other things, how they won't end up having to pay more than I do. The, the carbon tax has become one of those issues that has distinguished the various parties in this election campaign and perhaps for the last two years. And there are a number of parties who are very uh, strongly in favour of it. And then there are three parties in particular who are against 
text, uh, and that is Sinn Féin, uh, People Before Profit and Solidarity. And I suspect there's a little bit of the water charges there. I think there is more than a tincture of, pos- of populism uh, to be discerned there, even though they protest uh, that they're doing it on grounds of equity. Now, Saoirse McHugh uh, of the Greens has muddied the water for her party uh, by coming out in the past week saying that she is personally against it. And she is saying that if a carbon tax were introduced those that would be most impacted uh, would be those who have uh, least resources and are living in the most uh, um, remote areas. Uh, people who have to run tractors, who have to keep the electricity uh, going in farms. So there's a little bit of merit to what she's uh, saying. But I was at a presentation at an Oireachtas committee several months ago which John Fitzgerald of the Climate Advisory Council was talking about uh, carbon tax and Richard Boyd Barrett was tackling him saying that they tried to introduce a, cli- a carbon tax in Canada and it had been unsuccessful. And uh, John Fitzgerald said the reason why it had been unsuccessful in Canada was because uh, they were facing a ref- uh, recession at the time. And when you uh, face a recession, everything regresses, all taxes regress, including uh, carbon tax. And his line was, you won't meet an economist in the Western world who will argue uh, that a carbon tax doesn't do what it should. But it was interesting, the ESRI had done a study then as to how that tax can best be applied. And depending on how they apply it, it can be progressive or it can be regressive. If you uh, transfer it to other areas of taxation uh, and then allow people to have breaks there uh, in non-kind of carbon areas, it can be uh, progressive uh, as well. So they they advocated a mix of kind of redistribution as well as uh, um, in terms of of, uh, giving breaks and other tax as well as uh, making sure uh, that kind of just transition and equality issues uh, were dealt with. So if you look at the... um, Manifestos of all the parties, uh, you see that there are differences of emphasis. Fianna Fáil are very strongly in favour of ring fencing it uh, for insulation, uh, for just transition, and for other funds. Uh, other parties are not going to use it as a straight revenue raising thing, but they are less specific about how the money raised will be put to use. Uh, but none of them have um, said that it is going to be a revenue raising tax. They've all said that the the, uh, the the net benefit in terms of the uh, economic bot- bottom line will, will be zero. So they are looking at ways of reusing the money. Uh, the question is how best to reuse the money mm. and there's a debate uh, about that. But the debate about carbon tax or no carbon tax, I, I just think that, you know, the, 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 the smaller left-wing parties say you know, uh, tax the corporations and the big aviation companies like Ryanair and the big users, the big coal companies, the big cement companies, the big transport companies. But the difficulty with that is that the punter is, is going to end up paying that tax anyways because if they're taxed more, uh, the, the knock-on effect is that the ordinary person will, will have to pay more uh, for their goods. So uh, they're not going to... They, 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 the net result will be more uh, or less the same. So... But Harry, it's even, I mean, a carbon tax really is a, a tax on the fossil fuel uh, producers. You know, the, the, the fact is that it's then passed on to consumers. So that's exactly what a, a carbon tax is. Mm. It's a tax on, you know, the fossil fuel industry fat cats, if you like, if you want to put it in, in populist language. And then, you know, what you can literally take the revenue and put it in people's back pockets, you know, through through a carbon dividend. And yeah. I don't know what your uh, your scan revealed, but it seemed to me that this idea 
idea of a carbon tax and dividend seems to have fallen off the agenda somewhat and that it was it seemed more uh, you know like the for most parties that the revenue would be ring fenced and then used for green investment which is you know perfectly legitimate thing to do but um just a couple of years ago there was more energy in this carbon tax and dividend where you would give everybody a you know a sort of an equal dividend a check in their back pocket from the carbon tax um, so and, and, and in have, your view, Joe, which is the better approach? Well, so the, one of the advantages from the, you know, the literature, the sort of political economy literature is that a, a dividend apparently works better when trust in government is low. So in the likes of the US, um, a carbon tax and dividend would be very attractive because they've got this kind of libertarian ethic where they don't really like government. Ireland being a post-colonial country where we have a sort of <laughs> a fairly uh, checkered history with central government, um, you know, it could be that that's something that you could sell to the Irish uh, public, um, you know, um, but I think it would require an incredible um, act of political salesmanship. You would really need a sort of a, a leader, a voice there who's explaining and selling. And I don't think we've had anything like that mm. in Irish politics around carbon taxation so far. There's been no sort of clear messaging. There's been no kind of response to the, um, we'll say some of the, you know, some of the negative um, commentary around carbon taxes. And nobody has really said, look, this is actually something that could put money in your back pocket. Um, so I feel like the energy is in that sort of tax and use the revenue for green investment sort of side of the debate. And, you know, I don't have any problem with that. I just, you know, I just hope that um, as the carbon tax increases, which it actually has to do to have an impact, and that's, I suppose, what John Fitzgerald um, <laughs> might have been referring to, like the Canadian carbon tax is, you know, sort of in the 20 to $25 range, which is not going, it's, it's going to be lost in the noise. You know, I mean, you need your carbon tax to be ratcheting up over time if it's going to have any sort of an impact. And, you know, so that's why I think in fairness to the Irish political parties, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are talking about 80 euro by 2030 and the, th the Greens were talking, I think, about 100 euro in their carbon tax by, by 2030. Can I ask you just in relation to that, Harry mentioned the fact that recession in Canada mitigated against the carbon tax. The other thing is that recessions seem to be the only thing that have stopped the onward, upward march of Irish carbon emissions over the last over the last two or three decades. Uh, we have a very ambitious expansion plan, Ireland 2040, uh, established by the by the current government, which envisages, you know, really significant population growth, uh, expansion of urban centres, expansion of, of economic activity. Along with that, you see new forms of energy usage, like these huge data centres which are sprouting up all over the country. Are we totally on the wrong track with all that stuff? I mean, I don't personally think so. There's a, you know, there's a huge debate between, we'll say, the environmental left and the environmental centre about whether you can have economic development and a low-carbon economy. And I think that the answer is yes, but it takes, you know, really hard sort of decision making. It takes kind of conviction and it takes um, a relentless focus on, you know, getting carbon out of the economy, growing green carb green industries. And, um, you know, I, I don't think don't think there's anything in theory or technically uh, to stop us from producing all of our, our power from green energy and for providing a home to, you know, those kind of data centers or, um, you know, service based uh, um, economy, um, the, the service based economy that we're, we're trying to develop in this country. Because I've seen it, I've seen it projected that they're going to use up to twenty-five. They're going to account for up to twenty-seven percent of our emissions within ten years. They don't employ an awful lot of people. There's presumably some economic benefit to them. 
Uh, yeah, is that the 20, 27% of overall emissions or power sector emissions? I would imagine maybe power sector emissions. I haven't looked at the kind of data, but that does seem very high for overall emissions. I, I think it's, it's uh, power sector emissions rather than overall emissions, Joe. Yeah, so I just don't think, you know, let's say if, if this debate were happening in Asia and you're saying to people, you're saying to Asian economies, look, you can't grow, you can't expand because climate change. I just don't think that, that that's ever going, that kind of argument is ever going to win the debate. So really, even in a real politics sense, you have to sell the green alternative. You have to sell the green economy. And you have to say that, you know, human need um, can be met at the same time as responding to climate change, because, you know, ultimately, that's what sort of economic development does. It meets human need. It meets the human need for, you know, electricity, for getting from A to B, from having the life and lifestyle that, that people want and they're looking for. And I just think if you're trying to sell, you know, um, penury and trying to sell economic contraction, as the only response to climate change, it's just never going to happen. So we've no alternative almost but to, to pursue the, the low carbon option. And um, one of the things that was interesting was that, that last summer, everybody thought that this was going to be a climate change general election. And that has not turned out to be the case. It has been a it has been less peripheral than it has been in the past, mm. but it has been surprisingly peripheral. Now, the Greens, I think, are going to do relatively well. But I think that's going to reflect uh, that their niche is larger rather than a, a change in terms of a seismic shift or a paradigm shift or any of the cliches that we use uh, when describing big changes in, in modern uh, politics. And one of the things that struck me about the debates, and you haven't seen the debates, was that they'd arrive at the section on climate change and then they'd kind of defer to Eamon Ryan and Eamon Ryan would say his piece on climate change and everybody would kind of bow. Uh, <laughs> to be a little bit of debate, but I mean... That was our bit of climate change. And it always reminded me of a Sean O'Casey play, uh, which I think was Red Roses for me, where a guy comes in at the end of the play and his only function is to sing a song. And he sings the song absolutely and utterly beautifully. But I mean, the the, the case that O'Casey was making in relation to this guy was, he was the guy who sang the song and he had no other function in life other than to sing the song. I'm I'm not trying to be (laughs) cruel, but I'm surprised that uh, that it was peripheralised a bit. I think it's a bit of fault of the Greens. I think the Greens campaign has lacked a little bit of impact impact and energy and focus uh, and they've been distracted a bit by Saoirse McHugh's uh, kind of uh, solo show in Mayo and they've been trying to, mm-hmm. to focus people's minds on climate change but it just isn't there. Other issues have taken precedence during this particular uh, campaign. But let me ask you something Harry, mm-hmm. if you were if you're voting next Saturday and if you were a potential Green Party voter but perhaps you're in a constituency where the Greens aren't going to have a hope of winning a seat or you're thinking about where your transfers are going to go, where should your transfers go if climate action is right at the the top of your agenda as a voter? Because I I presume your number one's going to go green. uh, It is, because they they have far and away the most comprehensive policy uh, on green issues. In fairness to people before profit, even though they won't be empowered, they have put a lot of effort into into green uh, policies in recent years, even though they want, it's kind of lucky bag stuff, they want everything to happen uh, and they, they, ha- they, they pay no cognizance to how this is going to be spent because in, in their eyes, there's going to be societal change, there's going to be such a, a revolution uh, that money will be found from, from elsewhere. But then if you look at the other parties, I think the other parties with the most developed plans are probably the Labour Party. Tina Fall has a comprehensive plan. Uh, the Fine Gael one is basically based on the National Development Plan and I don't think it's comprehensive enough even though Richard Bruton has improved the track record of the government in terms of climate change and he did have a climate change uh, act that was about to or a bill that was about to come out that didn't happen. And I think the most uh, scant one of all is the, the 
Sinn Féin one. Uh, surprisingly enough, it's manifesto. There are only three pages. Uh, there's a bit of text, uh, but it's all uh, pretty wishy-washy. No real uh, targets. They're going to spend 160 million euro on retrofitting and on other programmes. Uh, they want to uh, find renewable uh, resources. Uh, they want to end fossil fuels. Uh, but there's uh, surprisingly little detail and there's surprisingly little impetus in the Sinn Féin one. So I think on a hierarchy, Green would be at the top. And I think on this matter, uh, Sinn Féin would be at the bottom, even though Sinn Féin policy on housing and health are much, much better. Finally, Joe, can uh, can I ask you, just listen to what Harry said about the kind of, what sounds to me like a bit of tokenism going on in the debates from the other parties. And I wonder how that plays out when whatever government it is, you know, comes to power for the next, well, there's a, I'm not sure if tragedy of the commons is the, is the correct phrase, but I'm going to use it here anyway. There is a real problem, isn't there, this debate about climate change, that it, it, it alights on any particular sector. It's don't take our national herd away from us. Don't take our airplanes away from us because we live on an island. And don't stop us growing because we were poor in the past. There's always an excuse. And of course, there's then there's the, the, there's the further one, which is we're only one small country and we can't have any great impact on the overall global thing. Does that sort of underpin all of this and perhaps uh, kind of justify Harry's, Harry's scepticism about the commitment of all of the parties? Uh, I try to be positive. Um, you know, I, I definitely think if you compare where we're at in this election cycle compared to even five years ago, that the issue has been elevated. Um, I think one other observation is that, you know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, they're like an elderly couple that have spent so much time together that they're kind of becoming the same. Um, just at least coming, looking at it from a, a distance, they really are ticking all of the same boxes in their manifestos. And, you know, they're quite developed and advanced climate policy proposals. Like They're both committed to 70% renewables by 2030. They're both talking about just transition. They're both talking about this new climate act. They're both talking, you know, making a major play around electric vehicles. You know, they really... <laughs> it's like they're doing everything they can to put this space and sense of separation between themselves, but they're really, they really are kind of uh, very, very similar and very aligned on what needs to be done. And I, and I think that that's really important, and it reflects this cross-party um, committee that was established in the last oil. And so, you know, yes, climate policy is really difficult. It's really easy that it falls down the agenda. It becomes subsumed in these, as you said, sectoral kind of dogfights. And no matter what you want to do, you'll always find a constituency or a cohort to it that objects. And so it's hard. It takes guts. It takes political courage. Um, but there is better alignment now. And I really and we have a you know, we have a gun to our head as well with this 2030 target. You know, we're going to. Uh, we're going to have a seriously demanding, legally binding target to meet. And so overall, I think that, you know, I think we are getting our act together. We're doing it much slower and much more reluctantly than we should be. But there are, are signs to be positive. Joe, Harry, thanks very much for joining us today. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember, you can subscribe to us on all the usual podcast platforms, also at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can also get us uh, on email at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com or you can usually find me and indeed all the rest of the team somewhere on Twitter. Don't forget, we'll be back with our election daily podcast every day next week. Until the next time, thanks for listening.